for this evening's meditation, please turn with me to Genesis, the 37th chapter. Genesis chapter 37. This chapter begins uh, what I would say is probably one of my favorite historical narratives that we have in the scripture. It's a, an account that covers the life of Joseph. And what's interesting as we begin here in chapter 37 is that there's more text dedicated to covering Joseph's life than anybody else in the book of Genesis, even more so than Abraham as the, as we would say, as the father of faith, which is quite remarkable. So <clears throat> let's begin our reading at, uh, in chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. I'd like to conclude here, verse 11. Joseph was the eleventh son born to Jacob, the first son with his wife Rachel, and Benjamin was his younger brother. And uh, as the scripture describes that, that uh, Rachel then died in childbirth with Benjamin. So he had two sons with uh, Rachel. And those two sons, especially Joseph, as we read here in this chapter, were his favorite. The scripture gives a few reasons for that. One is as he was born a son in his old age. If we look further into the chapter, we see that uh, if we do some math from when Joseph di- or when Jacob died and when J- Joseph was born, we see that Joseph was probably about 91 years old when, sorry, Jacob was 91 years old when Joseph was born. Now, of course, the age of 91 is not the same age as we have somebody who's 91 because they lived longer back at that time. Jacob lived to a ripe old age of 147, and so. But even still, it was unusual to have a child at that age. And even more unusual because Rachel had been barren for all of those decades 
They had no doubt prayed a lot, and it seemed like those prayers were not answered. And finally, in his old age, he received the son that was especially precious uh, to him. Now, Joseph's life himself characterized a lot of, in a sense of foreshadowing, a lot of the things that we see in Jesus' life that Jesus fulfilled even to a greater degree, much greater degree than Joseph himself. But there's clearly many different parallels that we see through the life of Joseph. And as we go through them, I'll, I'll point them out and um, see how we can, how God has orchestrated it in such a way to help us better understand the um, I guess, understand the life of righteousness and how Jesus uh, fulfilled it perfectly. In verse 2, we see him coming as a young man, as a shepherd caring for the flock. And unlike his brothers, he actually cared for the flock. His brothers, as we read earlier in the, in the chapters of Genesis, were um, quite evil. They had done many despicable and say heinous and grievous sins that they committed to the point of murder and also a gross immorality. And this characterized their lives and it doesn't, though it doesn't uh, specifically give us what they were, what evil that they were doing there, whether it was because of their irresponsibility that the father would suffer loss in the flock or whether it was because of the, the, the tribes around them or the neighbors around them, uh, for the neighboring villages. We know earlier in the chapter in Genesis, they were very despised because of their actions from others. So we don't specific have the specifics here, but other than that, it was probably of great significance. Um, reminded of, of, of Jesus himself, and as we sang together, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus as the chief shepherd, one that, as the scripture says, actually Jesus himself said, um, when he was uh, speaking to his I believe it was his disciples in John the 10th chapter we read in verse 10 beginning at verse 10 the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy but I am come that they may have life then they have it and that they might have it more abundantly I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep, who own not the sheep, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. Here Jesus is giving the example of that he is a good shepherd. He's going to stick with the sheep. He's going to give his life even for his life because of the care and love and concern that we are his own versus those that are hireling. They get wages paid to do it and they, they make a quick calculation in their head when danger is coming. It's like, this is not worth it. I'm not getting enough danger pay here. I'm out. And they flee because they don't, they are not the owner. They are not the one that cares uh, in the same way as somebody who is the good shepherd, as Jesus described. And so in a sense, we see Joseph as the good shepherd, one who uh, cares for the sheep, for his flock, for his father's flock. And, and in a sense, the brother is more like the hireling, doing all kinds of things probably that they were not supposed to be doing. Now, was Joseph wrong in his, uh, 
in coming to tell his father there that this evil report of what was happening there we use the term tattletale or an informer if someone is doing it for the wrong motive but if someone is doing it for the right motive we call them a whistleblower in modern day terms someone who sees something that is going wrong where where it's either illegal or harmful and the law that we have here in, in Canada protects those who are whistleblowers, those that will bring an evil report, in a sense, for those that are doing wickedness in order to um, allow justice to be served and that evil to be stopped. And so it really depends on the motive of the person that's doing this. And so if we look at Joseph, in his motive, we... Though it doesn't explicitly call out the reason why he brought this uh, evil report or the report uh, of the evil that his brothers were committing during this time, we do see through his life that um, the motive was probably right. How do we know that? Because a lot of times people are informers or tattletales in order to receive favoritism to receive some sort of favor or payback or some sort of benefit or advantage. But we already know that Joseph already was the favorite in the sense that there, there probably wasn't anything more that he could do in order to earn more of his father's favoritism to be the favorite because he already achieved that status and possibly received that status not just because he was the son of Jacob in his old age, but also because we don't read anything we don't read of any of Joseph's sins. It's not to say that he was perfect, because we know the scripture says that there is none that is perfect. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Joseph's life, there was a very remarkable contrast to that of his brothers. His brothers had a whole list of heinous sins that they had committed and continued to commit, whereas Joseph was night and day in comparison to that. So, in a sense, <clears throat> Joseph was, you could almost say, earning the title of being the patriarch of the family. His older brothers had more than once had already uh, forfeited the right to be able to do so. So it didn't seem to be a motive out of uh, favoritism. It didn't uh, seem to be to show that uh, that he was trying to be more righteous than his brothers, to show that he was, uh, was better than they were. And how do we know that? Because we see the rest of his life is consistent in humility and even in meekness when he had great power. He had power under control, the true definition of meekness. And so that didn't appear to be his motive either. Nor was it to gain revenge on his brothers, to try to find some dirt and, 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 and get back at them because we see later how spiteful they were to him. And how do we know that? Because again, we see later in his life when he truly had the power to take to exact revenge, he did not take it. Demonstrating again his meekness. And so as best as we can tell as he's bringing his report is because of his genuineness that he cared. 
He cared about the welfare, cared about the responsibility that he had been given, cared about the his, his father's welfare, the goods that he was entrusted to. And he was trying to faithfully carry it out despite the odds that were against him with the, his, the evil that his brothers were doing. And he was willing to tell the truth even though it cost him in his relationship with them. Because the scripture says multiple times over and over that they hated him. They didn't like him. He uses the strong term hated multiple times in the verses that we read together. And that came as a result of him willing to tell the truth. Similar to Jesus, as we read when he was before Pilate, as he testified, we read in John the 18th chapter, Pilate therefore saith unto him, that is Jesus, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. So Jesus is coming to bear witness of the truth, and it cost him his life. It was, it, there was a high cost for him to bring the message of the truth to the people, and he was willing to bear that cost. Not only was, <clears throat> so Jesus being the ultimate example of the testifying to the truth, also empowers us as his children to testify to the truth, even though it may be inconvenient, even though it may cost us something in the end, that we are to also testify to the truth. So we see then as, as Jacob is esteeming, esteeming Joseph for a number of these reasons that we've <clears throat> we've summarized or that we've gone through here. But as he esteems Joseph, as he um, says here in verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, and he made him a coat of many colors. This coat of many colors was probably in easiest way for us to understand it, required some very... Um, delicate stitching and weaving to take all of these different garments of colors and put them together in a sense that made it look brilliant on him. Often we would see maybe the, the closest example we would have is if you have looked at uh, the... Um, the, the Native Americans, where they had the, 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 those that were more leaders had a colorful headdress or the ones that had the most feathers. It would stand out as somebody of note, someone of importance, someone that was, in a sense, a ruler. And so as Joseph was given this gift, it clearly demonstrated the father, Jacob's favoritism toward him. And certainly is um, hard probably for many of us to understand, especially as parents, wondering even though, you know, some children, especially if they're extremely rebellious and sinful exceedingly, um, yet as parents were called to love them, love them equally and unconditionally. It doesn't mean that we treat them the same because as we understand, their personalities are all different and unique, yet the... Uh, responsibility we have as parents to love them 
in a way that they can best comprehend and understand. And that means that we will treat them differently, though we love them equally. But this favoritism was um, was certainly noticed and caused additional animosity in the in the family. And it says they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And we see the beginning of that murderous seed being planted in the heart of these brothers. And we see the fulfillment of that scripture. seems like a harsh and strong statement that the Apostle John makes about the seriousness of the, 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 the hatred as a passion. That if that is not dealt with, that it will continue to grow and fester into something that eventually will lead to murder or murderous intent or very ill intent. And so as we look at this, the sad state of this family, we see envy, jealousy, hatred, siblings that could not speak peaceably one to another. And it's hard to comprehend how God's plan would unfold with such remarkable dysfunction. And I think it speaks to the power of God that despite the working of the enemy, and we don't explicitly read that here of how uh, Satan was working in the hearts, most likely to thwart God's plan. He had some idea of exactly how God's plan was to unfold, and and his as his uh, custom is, or what 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 his nature is, as he says, is uh, the scripture that we read that Jesus stated that he's a robber and a thief come to destroy and to kill, and this was his aim and his desire. And though he accomplished a lot of evil through these, through this dysfunction, that God was not limited with all of the sin and the mistakes that were made. That he was still able to accomplish the great deliverance, not only to save Joseph himself, but also deliver the brothers from their own sin, to save the family, to save them as a nation, to allow God's plan to unfold is part of the whole miraculous aspect of this narrative that is astounding, is remarkable, is amazing. And that's only something that God can do. And even though God's plan will come about regardless of what uh, perhaps ill intentions that people have or whether they either intentionally or unintentionally give in to the enemy's tactics and, in a way, uh, make it more difficult for God's plan to be to unfold, we see that it will unfold regardless, e- even though at times there's a high cost to pay. The brothers we see later on, the high cost that they had to pay, Joseph himself had to pay for his, the brothers' sins, and so it's not free in the sense, in, 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 from that perspective, 
There is a high cost, and they had to pay him multiple times over. And yet, God's plan still came about. And so we have the, 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 the verses to, that, that we've read together of Jacob esteeming Joseph, and now we have Joseph dreaming. He's got two dreams that, that we've read about. One is an agricultural dream, and uh, it really doesn't take a lot of emotional intelligence to realize that Joseph, as a 17-year-old, was probably not thinking very well. Emotional intelligence means you're self-aware. You realize the circumstance around you. You can sense the animosity. You can kind of uh, uh, um, understand the environment that you're in, and then you behave uh, uh, responsibly or carefully in that environment. And it seems that uh, he had not quite developed that yet as a teenager, and so he... It was obvious to him, must have been obvious to him, that his brothers already had such great animosity. And sharing his dream, though as excited as he was about it, would not help those relationships. Because the first dream was the sheaf, or another word for that is a bundle. They're in the field, they're harvesting, they tie up the, the stalks into bundles and they would then leave them on the side, and then the field would be full of these bundles or sheaves. And now he has this dream where the sheaves, the eleven, would now bow down to him, and the meaning was clear. Here was this youngest brother of theirs, younger brother of theirs, already was the favorite, already had a coat that uh, reminded him that he was going to be a ruler, was something special, and now this dream that reinforced that made them even more angry. And then the second dream included his father and his mother was a, a dream of astronomy, of the skies, the stars, and the moon, and the sun. And even his father rebuked him for that, saying, am I, as the patriarch of the family, going to bow down to you? That doesn't make any sense. And yet, we read these the words where he says, But his father observed the saying. Though he was rebuked, his father took special note. This was unusual. And so he didn't know exactly what it meant. Much like Mary, when the, um, when she received the tidings that couldn't, she couldn't really make sense of either, the scripture says she pondered those things in her heart. She didn't act rashly, just like Jacob didn't act rashly either but stored them away, wondering how, that there was some significance to that. And certainly we have made experiences in our life as well, as, as we go through life, that we don't fully understand all the things that happen, the, the decisions that people make, the experiences that we make as well. And at times we, we literally feel like we're scratching our head, wondering how, 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 this is puzzling, how does this all fit together? And we would be wise to follow this approach, to ponder those things in our heart, to store them away and leave them unanswered for that time because at times those answers are not available. It has not yet been revealed. And especially if those things that are puzzling or cause for concern, that we don't dwell on those, 
that we just store them away, commit them to the Lord, and allow him to work that out in the end, rather than allowing that to be discouraging or depressing to us, because God is greater than whatever puzzle that we find in our lives. Far greater, I don't think any of us will ever experience the kind of puzzle that we have unfolding in front of us. And if God can handle those, he can certainly handle whatever puzzle is happening in our own lives. Now, I do want to spend just a minute or so talking about this aspect of dreams. We do see here two dreams. I don't know how far apart. It evidently appears to be fairly close uh, together as they were, uh, as he had these dreams. And then Pharaoh had dreams. And there are other aspects in the scripture where dreams provided some level of revelation. But they're very few and far between. In fact, the Lord inspired Moses to write about dreams, to be very careful about interpreting dreams. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we don't have the time to read it. I encourage you to consider reading that on your own, the first five verses there. Talk, essentially give a warning about dreams, that all dreams must be subjected to the commands that God has given. In other words, dreams never rise above the Scripture. They're always subservient to the Scripture. And we can see the, 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 the reason why God said that, because we read in a practical account in Jeremiah chapter 23, just as one example, where we had false prophets that were... Saying that, oh, we've dreamed this and we've dreamed that. And they would spout this out as a revelation from God that was completely contrary to the scripture. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, received a word from the Lord to condemn those that were dreaming and essentially giving new revelation that contradicted the scripture. And so, <clears throat> while dreams, as we've all had them and experienced them, many of them we don't understand at all. Most of them are just our mind <clears throat> releasing stray memories here or there. But if we have a dream that is of note or of significance, we always must subject that to the truths that are in the Scripture. It is always subservient to that. And so... <clears throat> His brothers, as these both these dreams really had the same meaning, that Joseph would truly rise up as a ruler over his family, including his father, his parents. But his brothers rejected it outright. We see that shall in verse 8, and the brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? It was complete re rejection. Not unlike Jesus, as we read in Matthew, the 21st chapter, where... We read in... Verse 42, Jesus saith unto him, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. 
This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Here the leaders, those that were um, uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests and, and the Sadducees and many others, had rejected Jesus, saying, he's not going to be our ruler, no way. And Jesus is saying, look, the the the... the the stone which the builder rejected has now become the head of the corner. It essentially becomes the chief cornerstone, ruler over all. And it says, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and given to a nation that essentially accepts the rulership. And of course, we are the benefactors of that rejection. And so this gives light to a timeless truth that when we reject the Lord, when we reject Jesus, reject him as Lord and Savior in our life, that comes with an expiry. We're familiar with expiration dates on products that we purchase. They're good for a certain amount of time. And at times, our procrastination, especially those of you that may not be believers yet, believers, what I mean by that is that you have not fully committed your life to the Lord, that you, in a sense, have pushed off the Lord or the Lord's lordship in your life. The offer... The invitation has an expiration date. Just like in the time of Jesus, there was a certain window of opportunity that they had to accept that rulership in their life. And once they rejected it, it was gone. We see that practically happening in today's time as well, where after a certain number of rejections people no longer have the desire to repent. And whether that's because their heart has gotten so hard that they refuse or have no interest in that anymore, or if it's because God's grace, that door has been closed in their life, we can't really discern between the two. And ultimately, it probably doesn't matter because the end result is the same. God's invitation of rulership in our lives has an expiration date. And we don't know when that expires. And so, my friend, you've heard the invitation. You've heard the invitation probably many, many times. And so, I encourage you to respond to the rulership of the Lord in your life. That you would not act as Joseph's siblings to reject it outright or act as the rulers did in Jesus' time to reject his lordship but to accept it. But that expiration time doesn't just stop at receiving Jesus as Lord in our life, but it also relates to our obedience to him as well. Is that at times as believers, we are encouraged or led or exhorted in the scripture or through various means, through a a message or through an experience, to carry out something that we know he desires us to do, and it's not convenient, it's difficult, that too has an expiration date. 
that if we reject that, after a time, God will move on. His purposes will be accomplished. We see that through this account in some other way, but we will bear the consequence of rejection, the rejection of his authority and sovereignty in our lives. But God be praised that he is merciful and that he is a God, as the scripture said, his mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness that We've probably all made experiences where we've lost the opportunity. And may those opportunities that we may have uh, lost, may they teach us a lesson and encourage us to be more faithful and obedient, to exercise the lordship of Christ in our lives so that we can also experience the blessing of being part of his body, that rather than being a part of the dysfunction, we're actually part of the unity and the power that God works through the unity of his body. Amen.